You're listening to audio from First Christian Church. To find out more about us or to donate to our ministries, visit firstabq.org. Would you remain on your feet for a reading of God's Word from Paul's letter to the Galatians, chapter 5, starting in verse 13. And I'm going to read to 18 and then skip to 22. For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence, but through love become slaves to one another. For the whole law is summed up in a single commandment. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. If, however, you bite and devour one another, take care that you're not consumed by one another. Live by the Spirit, I say, and do not gratify the desires of the flesh. For what the flesh desires is opposed to the Spirit, and what the Spirit desires is opposed to the flesh. These are opposed to each other to prevent you from doing what you want. Now verse 22. By contrast, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, welcome. Welcome to first. It is clearly graduation season. You're probably getting all kinds of invitations. I don't know why it is, but we really pay attention to uh, high school graduation. Perhaps it's just such a memorable benchmark in our lives. We remember our own high school graduation, that we made it, or we skipped, or we didn't make it. We at least remember these things, right? And there's lots that goes on inside of, of graduates at this time. Now, if if we think about the lives of these graduates, we today honored Lizzie and Riley. When they were born, that's when Hurricane Katrina hit. In 2006, that's when the first Tesla Roadster was introduced. 2007, something you might not have heard of called the Apple iPhone came out. 2008, that is uh, when Barack Obama was elected as the first African-American president. The Iraq war ended in 2009, and the war in Afghanistan, well, that was their entire lives until last year. And so much more, right? Those are just things that have happened since these graduates have been born. And at this time, you probably remember the thoughts that you had. There's really just one word, one word that comes to almost any high school student. Freedom! Freedom from high school, freedom from parents, freedom from a town or weirdos or whatever it is, they're ready to move out to be on their own and to have freedom. Ready to be, have freedom from rules, at least that other people have. And I guess we know that we tend to trade freedoms, one set of rules, one set of people and places for another one in the military or in the technical school or, or on the job, right? We have new people that we answer to. And it's in this time that it's quite normal to, to be excited about what's next and to want that freedom and also to have maybe some second thoughts too. 
Is this the place I want to go? Is this the degree I want to pursue? Are these the people that I want to be around? Can I make the cut or make friends or make grades? And it's in those times of transition that we have lots of thoughts. Well, in this sermon series that we're in the middle of, A Bloom in the Desert, after the, one of the first sermons that I preached, uh, there's been something that's kind of blown through many of these sermons, tumbleweeds, you know, the, the cheetah of the weed kingdom that takes, to the, takes their wheels out everywhere. Well, one, one week after I talked about tumbleweeds, uh, a woman, a guest, came up weeping. And this story that, she, that I'm about to share with you, I got her permission to share, is one of those moments in her life that she will never forget. And it's hard for even to communicate. She spends a lot of her time out on mountain roads. And you've probably been on a mountain road, the narrow ones that aren't wide enough for two cars. And she found herself in a position where she needed to turn around. Now, I don't know if you've had to do this before, but I have, where you have to figure out a way to just inch back and forth on a mountain road. Are you with me on this? I took a picture of the last one, the tracks that I left, of just inching back and forth, forward and back. Well, the serious part of the story is that when she got in the midpoint, her front tires went over the edge of the mountain road. And she is in the truck, just leaning back, holding our breath. And you know what she saw down below her? As her life and all that had happened to her flashed before her? A valley full of tumbleweeds. And she, she had to wonder, is this how it's all going to end for me? You know, I'm just trying to turn my life in a different direction and I'm looking at my death. Sometimes it feels that way. Where we're just trying to do what we can to get our life going in the right direction. And we find ourselves even closer to our death in those moments. It's, it's stories like that that I need to give you a window to how I think every week or every year when I come into planning sermons. When I come into each sermon, I come into it saying, what if this is the last thing that I'm ever able to say? No other words, but this is it. I come into each sermon and I think, okay, how can I communicate the goodness of what God has done for us that we can't do for ourselves. And a third thing that I think about is how will someone, as a very next step, begin to follow and live their life with Jesus? Because we're all in these pivotal moments, regardless of where we are in life. We're making decisions right now that will affect us for the rest of our life. And so in this series, Bloom in the Desert, in week one, we talked about crucifying ourselves with Christ, that our death leads to not just more death, but to life in Christ, where we're looking forward to what's next. In week two, well, we talked about triangles. We've got these triangles of relationship in our life, and we want to break those and go to the person that we've offended or the person that might be offended with us, where we can live our lives focused in on being in people's presence, in relationship. And another thing, in week three, we looked at anxiety. That anxiety is normal. It's actually healthy. It can get us out of some fixes if we'll pay attention to it. It's what we do with our anxiety. It's thinking about what our life produces. All of these sermons so far have been trying to get us to imagine ourselves in the way of Jesus, 
Not, not just walking along beside Jesus where he takes care of everything or carries us like the footprints uh, uh, poem, but where we're actually embodying the life of Jesus. We're welcoming this way of Jesus, even the crucified way of Jesus. Now, there's a few things that I think kind of hold us back. Whoever we are, whatever our age is, I thought about two things over these last several weeks that I think are pressing issues for us. One is distraction. We are such a distracted people. In fact, it might be hard for you to be right here right now. You might be thinking about something that you just did or said or regretting something in the past or you're looking forward to something in the future. We're so distracted in our lives we can't live in the present moment. I mean, I mean, think about it. You probably this week were in a living room, maybe with friends, where the TV is on, maybe the game is on, and there's music playing, and you're with all these friends, and you're on your phone. I mean, we're pulled in every direction, into the game, into music, into relationships, but we're very, very distracted. You might have even this weekend been listening to a podcast, working in the yard, watching the kids while timers are going off of the lunch that you're making in the oven. We do and are able to do so many things. Our lives are quite distracted. Another big thing, maybe this is a bigger thing, and maybe you heard this this week like I did, loneliness. Loneliness, the Surgeon General said this week is an epidemic like, oh, great, I, I thought we just got done with a pandemic, and now we have an epidemic of loneliness? Yeah, one out of two people. And what makes this something that the Surgeon General is stepping forward about is that one out of two people are suffering from loneliness, primarily younger people, and loneliness can cause anxiety, depression, suicidal thoughts, cardiac heart disease, really, stroke, Dementia? Wow. And then when he says it's the equivalent of smoking 15 cigarettes a day, I think they want us to get a message about connection in a time when we're disconnected. It used to be, right before the pandemic, we would spend about 60 minutes a day with friends, and now it's about 20. So what are we to do with this desire that's within us to have freedom a sense of distraction in our lives and a loneliness that might be pervasive in our own life. I believe that the fruit of the Spirit, this passage that I just read to you, has some things to offer each one of those, and I want us to dive in deeply. And it's going to surprise you where we go, because this is about encouraging freedom. And you might think, really? This is freedom? Is that really what we want people to hear? Well, a verse that I did not read to you was Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. So if you've still got your Bible open, look at that first one. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. The yoke of slavery there is the law. Freedom is why Christ came. If you keep going, look at verse 4. Those who want to be justified by the law are cut off from Christ. Well, that's striking. No pun intended in this section where he's talking about circumcision. If you want the law to justify you, you're cut off. You are fallen from grace, verse 4. 
Well, look in verse 13. You are called to freedom, not to self-indulgence. Or what about verse 18? Those who are led by the Spirit are not subject to the law. Now, wait a second. These have to be Holy Spirit typos, right? They just can't be. There's too much talk about freedom. How in the world is freedom really something that we want to encourage? Well, sure enough, it's not a typo. I'm reading it. You can see it. And I haven't even finished not just verse 18, but verse 23. After he lists off the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, on through the whole list, he says, there is no law against such things. Wow. Christ calling us to freedom. Freedom from the law. A new kind of relationship with Jesus Christ that's not defined by the law. What he's pulling us into is the fruit of the Spirit, something that's valuable in any time, in any place, any culture throughout history. The fruit of the Spirit is something that you can tap into. Well, I've got to dig a little bit deeper into this dark, rich soil of this text, and I'm going to say something a little surprising. If you dig into this, one thing that one might say is that the church likes sin. That preachers are pretty much hung up on sin. It keeps us in business. A lot of churches and some preachers tend to spend all of their time focused in on identifying sin, listing sin, labeling sin, pointing it out, helping people manage sin. And it's easy to deal in these black and white terms. Paul, when he talks about the works of the flesh in verse 17 down to 21, says these works of the flesh are obvious. That's the obvious part. The less obvious part is the fruit of the Spirit that he invites us into. You see, the problem with just identifying and labeling sin is that we just kind of manage it by getting to the point where we say, yep, there's sin, there's sin, there's sin, and well, I'm powerless against sin. Nothing I can do, thank goodness for the grace of God. And we just dust our hands of it. That enables us, that simple mentality enables us to live a very rootless existence. So yes, Christians are supposed to oppose sin, that's obvious. But I want to push us to a different focus. A focus on doing good. A focus on embodying the fruit of the Spirit. Because there's great freedom in focusing on the liberation that God has provided through Jesus Christ. You see, the sin war is not something that we have to go out and fight and picket about any longer. Jesus defeated sin. He defeats sin to enable us to actually live. And the point is to demote sin, to let it die, to let it go away. Well, let me give you an example. So a lot of times, couples will come to me and want to talk about marriage. They want to work on their marriage. I'm not a therapist. I'm a spiritual guide. And there's an important thing in our relationships where we need other people, maybe a spiritual guide, maybe a therapist, to walk us through the difficulties that all of us have. All right, anyone who's in a relationship or married, they have difficulties, right? And we have to focus in on these things. So not to put that to the side, but one thing that gets lost with many couples 
is they get so focused on what's wrong, a difficulty, a point of contention, that they forget about all that's good. They forget about what brought them together in the first time, the hobbies, the activities, the things that they like to do, and instead they just kind of put up on a pedestal whatever it is that's wrong, and they worship that wrong thing. Now I'll tell you, there's a time and a place where we have to work on some of those big things, and we need someone to help us, but there's also a time to focus in on what's good in a relationship. Are you following me? Are you seeing why I'm saying Focusing on the fruit of the Spirit is a different way of living. Think about it this way. Have you ever seen an apple tree grunt out an apple? How about this? Have you gone to Florida and and seen an orange tree just sweat out an orange? No. What I don't want you to hear me saying today is try harder. Just try harder in your marriage. Just, just do your best. This, this isn't about trying harder. This is about creating in your life the conditions where fruit naturally comes. It's about practice. It's the outcome of our life. It's what we do. And whenever we focus in on this kind of training, it changes us because when we put ourselves in line with the Spirit and we begin to yield to the Spirit, we don't have to sweat out an orange or grunt out an apple these things come naturally because of how we live our lives think about your own life how you've invested yourself this week how much time did you spend per day on social media or watching the news or fretting about things was it 30 minutes was it an hour maybe five hours per day contrast that with your practice of How much did you think about the nine aspects of the fruit of the Spirit? How much did you spend praying? How much time did you spend reading Scripture? What if we change our focus, the perspective of where we're casting our gaze onto the fruit of the Spirit and off of these things? Because that gives us a new angle on living our lives. Now, The two that I want to talk about today are patience and kindness. And you might say, especially if you're a high school grad, well, why do I want to think about patience or kindness? I'm ready to conquer the world. I'm ready to get out there and do my thing. Well, there's times when we face resistance. There's times when we face obstacles, things that we don't plan on. And patience and kindness are two of these nine aspects that can help us out. So let's go a little deeper in each one of them. Patience. Patience is about a different kind of control. A delayed action. Being forbearing with another person. Putting up with them. Sometimes that's what patience is. Sometimes patience is a kind of control that one must exert during a difficult circumstances. Maybe a good word for patience would be restraint. You're holding back something that you could do or say or some way that you could act because it's not the best thing. Patience is something that strong people can make use of. It takes more strength to be patient than it does to be impatient. Think about this. 
How many of you have had to drive 30 miles per hour in a 50 mile per hour speed limit? And you're like, oh, no. I want to go 50. I want to go 50. And you're just you're banging your steering wheel and you're upset because you can't go the speed limit. Well, a patient person can step back and say, let's see, 30 miles an hour. That's still faster than I can walk. Still faster than I can bike. And you can enter into a level of patience by changing your perspective. What about standing in the line? You're, you're waiting for your groceries and the checker's terrible. You can't get your flour that you need and your fruit and you're just ready to go home. Well, what if you look at that a little differently? I mean, you're not having to grow the wheat or make it into flour. You're not having to grow and nurture the orange tree. So you're saving a lot of time by waiting even all day in line at the grocery store to get your food because others have done the work for you. Patience changes us to be trained in strength of restraint. It gets us in the line of God whenever we do this. You think about many people saying, well, why doesn't God do something? Why doesn't he intervene in this life? You know why God doesn't intervene? Because he's patient. Joel chapter 2, verse 13, God is patient and slow to anger. Thank goodness, because if God was ready to intervene and take care of evil, I'm burned up in a heartbeat. I don't know about you. And Peter, specifically in 2 Peter 3, verse 8, whenever people wonder why God doesn't intervene, he's slow. He's waiting for more and more people to come under his control. He's waiting to save more and more folks. God's timing, and he's pretty good at timing because he invented time, his timing is perfect. And he's waiting and he's slow for that moment. So this, this is not like a senior playing bingo, I've got to be careful here, or a toddler trying to finish their plate. Okay, balance it out, I'm okay now. This is a kind of restraint and slowness Kindness, the second one. Kindness, you know, sometimes I don't know what to do with kindness. That sounds, sounds kind of syrupy, sounds sugary, maybe even a little bit bland to just call someone as a kind person. And yet kindness is a big word, a word that leads towards ethical excellence, a, a word that's about uprightness, and even came to mean very useful. Kind people are those who are, are different from me a lot of times, not given to sarcasm or rudeness or impatience. They are given towards waiting. In the same way that patience allows some restraint, kindness is about unrestrained acts of goodness. Unrestrained acts of grace in other people's lives. Trying to mirror that part of God's profile. In Proverbs chapter 21, verse 21, it says, Pursue righteousness and kindness, and it will bring you life and honor. I love those sayings of Proverbs. They're just lifted out. But kindness, if it's pursued with righteousness, brings you life and honors and acclaim? Yes, it does. I've been speaking about couples a bit. I remember one time a couple said, I, I just... 
I want my partner to treat me like the dog. It's like, oh, this is getting really bad. Well, yeah, treat me like the dog. I mean, they come home, and it gives the dog a kind look and loving words. Oh, you're and then you give a physical touch. That's all I want. A kind word, a kind look, and a gentle touch. Okay, so maybe, maybe we can learn from that. That is something that we could act upon. There's no law against patience or kindness or any of these aspects of the fruit of the Spirit. They are a path of walking with God, doing justice, loving kindness, walking humbly with our God. Do you remember that from Micah 6, 8? A great purpose statement from the prophets that pulls us into a life where the source of our life, the Holy Spirit, begins to direct the very course of our lives. And we yield, we grow, we let our roots go down deep. Oh wait, I, I, I left us hanging on that cliff. I, I forgot about our friend with her wheels off the side of the mountain. Well, maybe we should just talk about that another time. No, I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding about a very serious event in her life. Obviously, since she lived to tell me about it, she got out of this situation. And here's how. With her wheels hanging over the edge of the mountain and her breath held, she just began to will herself to the back of the truck. And she made her way out of the truck and shut the door, and the truck didn't fall down the mountain. Success number one. And she goes in the middle of nowhere to find help, goes to a house, and a woman answers the door and says, yeah, I'll send my husband to help you. And she waits, and this husband comes. And he says, do you need some help? She says, yes, I do. And do you know how he helped her? He took a winch, and he hooked it to the axle of her truck and onto a tree on the side of the mountain. And use that tree to pull her up. Now that, that contrast is real for me. As real as it is for this woman. Because she saw her life, one that she was trying to turn around, as potentially about to go to the tumbleweeds. And what saves her is a boring tree. Rooted in the same place. Driving its roots deeply towards water on the mountainside. Lifting up its arms to the air. Reaching out to the sun for nourishment. That rooted tree is what gave her life and pulled her truck to safety. The kind of life that we live, we have a choice about. We have a choice about living focused in on the good, fruit of the Spirit that are timeless, that there is no law against. No one's going to pass a law against kindness about being gentle or about being patient these are things that we can live in now in the here and now this is soil that we can that we can grow things in that our life can take root in where we can find tremendous focus in a world that's distracted because we take one fruit of the spirit maybe each day of the week and try to see it in the world. Try to embody it in the world. That gives us focus that's not distracted. It keeps us together. 
with others who are similarly focused, other trees on the side of the mountain that are not alone. We're standing together. And though it may feel like we're alone, we're not. There are others just out of sight that are helping hold the soil of that mountain onto the mountain. And freedom. There is great freedom in Christ. Where you don't have to worry about the laws. The laws that you're leaving behind or the laws that you will enter. Because when you take the path of the Holy Spirit through the fruit of the Spirit, you find freedom. You find that you become a tree that's planted by streams of water. That's rooted and not blown like tumbleweeds on every desire and every whim. Let's pray. Oh God, would you be the water in the soil? God, would you be the sun that gives us nourishment? Would you be the air around us? Father, would you help us to see that our existence is in you. Help us as we try to align ourselves with the natural work of your Holy Spirit, the natural ways of this world, to help us to grow like trees, rooted in the fruit of the Spirit, that we may be more and more who you've called us to be and who we are, your children. We ask this through Jesus, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.